Welcome to the Midlife Pilot Podcast. What is it like to become a pilot in midlife? The challenges are unique, but so are the rewards. Hosts Ben, Brian, and Ted talk learning to fly, growing as pilots, and the joy of flying to destinations. The purpose of the podcast is not to teach, but to share knowledge and experiences. Be sure to join the community on Patreon and get access to exclusive content, and Ted will even mail you a surprise, as uncomfortable as it sounds to have anyone named Ted mail you anything, much less a surprise. People in our Discord really seem to like our robot intros and had ideas for naming me, so perhaps we will keep making these ridiculous AI introductions. Okay, checklists are complete. Let's get the show started. Hello and welcome to the episode 60 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast. It's an aviation podcast where we talk all things flying and aviation in midlife. My name is Ben. I am a commercial rated pilot here in the Atlanta area. I fly a Cessna 182. I affectionately refer to as the beast. Tonight, as always, we have Brian, a private pilot who is located in the bachelorette party capital of the U.S., also known as Nashville. He flies a Cherokee 180, and he has named her Lucy. Also tonight, as always, joining us from Portlandia, Ted, our sport pilot extraordinaire, who flies a flight design CTLS that we refer to as the Egg. Uh, for this episode, we're happy to have with us uh, Erica Gilbert of Aerosafe. Erica's a CFII based in central Kentucky, and we're excited to be talking about weather, safety, and a lot more. Before we introduce uh, you all to Erica, we've got our housekeeping things that we'd like to get done. We have some pretty big news to share. So as the, our folks in the chat know already, we broadcast live on YouTube, usually Tuesday evenings at 8 p.m. Eastern. You can find us at youtube.com slash at Midlife Pilot Podcast. The chat is live and it's open for your questions and your comments and your feedback. Um, we've got a very active chat tonight. It's going very strong. Uh, we have some big news tonight, and I'm going to ask my friend Brian, who has had his pants on fire for the last four days getting this stuff done and has done an excellent job. But Brian, how you doing? I'm doing well. I just wanted to say that I, I think that the bit was supposed to be that I'm from the Bachelorette Super Charlie. I I missed that. I, I kind of skimmed over it. You are uh, under the Super Charlie now. And that isn't quite the distinction to have. The Bachelorette Super Charlie. Because right, it's so, the only super, super Charlie that's out there. So it's it's super. So so uh so yeah, a huge announcement. And here's the thing. You're saying I've been at work we've all been at work on all this so uh thanks to everybody behind the scenes here but um we have launched a patreon and um by the way the ai robot can't say patreon very well um you'll hear in the future how i've had to you know i had to lie to it to get it to say it right but anyway we have a patreon and what that means is we've grown and we have enjoyed that so much but we had to kind of put some uh i don't know structure around it and this thing started off so free and so open it was just chris and i and we would just kind of hit the button and launch and go which is maybe not a whole lot different from what's happening here now but we just started this thing on a whim and then now we're what 60 episodes in 
we've got a really active discord community that I've learned a lot from and enjoyed a lot. And not only that, we have now with you guys on board and everything, we have so much more content. We have so many more things that we want to do besides just the audio podcast. We want to do um, extended interviews or we have all these extra bits, right? And we thought, where can we start funneling that? And where can we start centralizing a lot of the content that we're creating or wanting to create? Therefore, we created a Patreon. So we launched that, what was it a day ago? 24 hours, two, or was it two one days ago? I think it was. Well, it has been a smash. Um, thanks everybody for showing up and just absolutely raising your hand and saying that you support what we're doing and you appreciate what we're doing and giving us uh license to do more and reasons to do more, which we will. So um, that's going to be pretty full. Uh, pretty soon, the Patreon will be uh, weekly dispatches of a lot of new things. So we have tiers for everybody. Maybe, Ted, you can walk us through. You know, we, we, Look, the brain trust of the Midlife Pilot podcast, we really had to put our heads together to figure <laughs> out. Because you can't just have... Your tier levels have to be... It's kind of like bumper stickers on your car, right? Like it's, you got to have like, I don't know, you can't just have like a coexist sticker or whatever, right? You got to have all of the things. So Ted, we came up with the tiers. Tell us about. Yeah. Well, for years <laughs> in, in Portland, you actually have to have a coexist sticker before oh, you okay. move into yeah, town. Right. It's, <laughs> it's, it's required. You get a Prius and a coexist sticker the minute, you know, as you, when you come across the border. Yeah. We have, we have four tiers. We, we spent time working on, we had a lot of fun with them and working up through the the price levels it's landomatic cessna 172 hershey bar beast stall uh for ben and caps available uh for our our serious friends and we wanted to to give enough levels that people could support us at whatever they they felt supporting us at and and not not have a lot of extra goodies in each level just enough to to make it worth it and yeah, we've, we have a lot. Um, I'm going to run through the list in, in just a second here. Um, but, uh, you know, Todd, uh, said it best, uh, Captain Todd, uh, he said it, this is great. You're moving to, to Patreon because I could never figure out Spotify. Not the only person who said that there, there were other people that are like, how do I do this? And canceling Spotify would have been a lot of work too. So that was our so. old means of support was through Spotify. So yeah. Now yeah. we, we used to just say you could support us for 99 cents a month, uh, yeah. one quarter per episode, but yeah, so now the, you can still do a dollar though. Yeah. And the, uh, the link to support us is, is, uh, down in the doobly-doo in, uh, in the podcast description when you're listening to this, uh, it's a little bit easier to get to. And, um, the, the real key is when you sign up for that, make sure to go into your settings, which is Patreon settings, connected apps. And that's where you where you link it to Discord. So there's kind of that extra step of of linking your Discord thing in there. So we've made it a invite. slightly more yeah. complex thing just for everybody. Yes. All right. Yes. Well, and, so there you go. We're here to serve. <laughs> yeah. So so that should help. Uh, and yes, it's it's another new thing to figure out. And if you have any questions with it, you can always hit us up at uh, midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com. And we're all new to this too. So don't worry about it. Well done. Absolutely. And thanks to them. And probably should give a shout out to Wendell Geek, who was instrumental in helping us get this done. So uh, to Wendell Geek, thank you very, very much for all the work you put into it. 
Yeah. I think we should get started. We have a guest with us tonight that we've made wait for a little bit and uh, would really like to kick it off. Uh, our topic tonight is uh, aviation weather refresh. Um, Brian notified us maybe two weeks ago about this YouTuber who is doing these weather debriefs. And the, from the very first video I saw, I'm like, okay, this is one we, this is, this is a keeper right here. So we're really excited to have you, Erica. Thanks for joining us tonight. Thank you so much for having me. Like I said, I'm just so tickled to death that you guys asked me to be here. Also, <laughs> thank you for laughing at that, Brian. <laughs> um, I, I really admire what you guys are doing here. And, um, you know, I kind of chatted about it on the Discord a little bit, and Brian and I spoke about it last week. But community is so incredibly important. Um, and I think there's so many barriers to entry for aviation that it can feel very isolated. So, you know, to be here and a part, be a part of this community that you guys have is, is really awesome. So thank you. That's great. So, and I'll speak for myself in this. Pilots are generally our weakest in the weather, weather theory, weather safety. And you started a channel to help this problem. And I really like how you approach it. Um, I, I'm fascinated with weather theory and, and and I like to watch it a lot, but I don't feel like I've been flying for six years now and I don't feel like I am much better at it than I was when I first started until I started watching one of your videos because you're able to tie the service analysis chart to actually what's going on. And I, I wanted to, maybe if you could tell us a little bit how about how all that got started. Yeah, that's, um, thank you. First of all, it's, it's really great to know that, I mean, you guys know how much effort it takes to, to put out something that people want to watch. And then beyond that, something that's actually valuable because there's a lot of crap out there. Right. Um, yeah, I think, um, so I went to the National Association of Flight Instructors inaugural summit um, this past October, and um, we talked a lot. There was a lot of conversation because it was very fresh about that accident in Western Kentucky between Bowling Green and Owensboro with the instructor who just made flagrant decisions that resulted in the death of himself and his student. I don't even feel comfortable calling that an accident because... It, you know, it almost seems like there was nothing accidental about it. Um, and um, there was a lot of conversation about how accessibility to weather information has never been better. You know, I lay in bed each morning and get a weather briefing before I even start my day. Um, yet, weather is still a huge causal or contributing factor for general aviation accidents. And you know, I wanted to provide something that was very useful for pilots, something that could change lives, save lives. And there's a lot of people that are doing the private pilot ground course and they're doing it super well. You know, like um, Flight Insight, he does an incredible job with his videos. So there was no need to do that and, you know, put that together with the lack of weather knowledge, which is a systemic problem. And you probably have issues with that because your instructors had issues with that and their instructors had issues with that. Um, and I wouldn't even consider myself to be especially qualified to do it um, other than a persistent curiosity and a desire to know how things work. And then the the teacher in me wants to share that information. So that's how, that's how it got started. 
Brian, I'm going to hand it off to you, but it's for me, the channel feels like it's, how has nobody done this yet? And I'm really happy that you're doing it, but it, it just seems like something, as Brian pointed out, that uh, there is no absolute person that's going to say, yeah, I've got a total grip on weather and I don't worry about it at all. Um, so, uh, Br Brian, uh, I believe you wanted to ask something. Oh, I have a lot of questions. So yeah. many questions. Um, by the way, just as a preface, let me just say how refreshing it is to have somebody on the podcast that actually knows what they're talking about. Um, <laughs> it is, it's such a really, do you guys feel that? Like, I just feel like my shoulders are kind of, you know, we we're safe in here. We're in, we, this is, we're going to be okay, guys. We're going to be okay. Um, but no, it's, it's fantastic to have, um, people that are trained educators. And by the way, I, it's, it didn't, I'm not lost on the fact that you just mentioned something about you, you, you consider yourself a teacher. I think that maybe we'll get into this a little bit later, but that's a huge distinction that I think is problematic that I know there's been a lot of conversation around lately. There's, there's, there's flight instructors and there's people that really feel a calling to, to teach and the, the gulf between can be pretty wide. So um, it's nice just to hear, to hear you even say the word teacher because it's more than just a, a gateway to something else uh, for you, obviously. Um, but my, so my, my question right away for you is um, we've been talking, it's been bubbling up probably the last four or five episodes, really. It's been sort of a common theme, personal minimums, how and, and expanding personal minimums and we've been talking about that from just kind of an experiential place of here's how i maybe um built my crosswind minimums or you know things like that and we're so used to speaking in terms of 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 that and we know everybody that has minimums which everybody should if if you do have weather minimums you're probably only thinking about it in terms of ceiling and a few other maybe details um what two-part question one what would you recommend how resolute should weather minimums be kind of declared and then secondly how do you go about methodically expanding on those yeah that's a great question um i'm sure everyone that's listening has heard of personal minimums and if they haven't they need to fire their flight instructor immediately i bring up personal minimums on the very first lesson um, and we write them down, right? Um, I'm actually working on a little like AeroSafe branded personal minimums checklist, which does go beyond weather. It also includes currency and, um, proficiency for carrying passengers because the legal minimums are just that, right? They are the bars on the floor. Um, and, and for especially newer bar green pilots having, landed three times three months ago is not enough to take up a loved one. Um, but I, I think, you know, the weather minimums should include, like you said, crosswinds and ceilings and making sure that you're below the freezing level if you're an IMC and, and should also include time since consuming alcohol and amount of sleep and a whole host of other factors. Um, cause it's all about risk mitigation. We know that no flight is 100% without risk. There is some risk involved. So what we do is we take the factors that we can control, which is when we stay on the ground or how much sleep we've had, 
and we say, this is the bubble that I'll operate within. And if, if any of these factors are not into play, not within my stipulations, I'm not going to go. In regards to safely flying within weather, within the capabilities of the aircraft, I think the, the only way to expand, safely expand those personal minimums, well, there's two ways. Um, my preference would be that you fly with a more experienced pilot in those conditions. Um, someone that knows your aircraft type and has plenty of time and experience in even more adverse conditions than you're about to enter. And they can then show you the capabilities of the aircraft and walk you through how to safely operate within those conditions. We don't all have the luxury to call up a safety pilot whenever things are a little bit out of our minimums. Instead, another way that we could safely expand our personal minimums is we set those. So, you know, a classic example, crosswind component. Let's say your max crosswind component is 12 knots. So if you're able to safely meet what uh, the standards are for a safe landing, which is on center line, longitudinal axis aligned, at an appropriate pitch attitude that you land on the mains and protect the nose wheel, you can maintain all of those standards with a 10, 11, 12 knot crosswind, no problem. Then you can sit down with your CFI and say, hey, this is no problem for me. I'm ready to expand it. Personal minimum should be somewhat of a contract where you have accountability to yourself and someone else. So if they see on FlightAway or, hey, you're flying in 17 knot crosswinds, they know what you've said is your personal minimums and they can call you out. That accountability well, piece is important. Yes. And not to cut you off here, but I just wanted to say that one of the coolest things about our Discord is that has been a place where people have been publishing their minimums to each other in the chat and in in the conversations for that exact for, you know for that exact reason for the accountability and by the way another feature of the discord that's kind of a trip i don't know how ted did it uh it involves a raspberry pi and some sort of uh witchcraft like 40 pop tarts or whatever you have to do to kind of get to that sugar state or whatever it is but um we have our, uh, what's it called? Radar contact, is it called in the Discord? Or, yeah, it says yeah, radar creeper contact. Bot. It's cre yeah, creeper bot. So, Ted is, if anybody that joins the Discord, if you want, you can submit your tail number to, to Ted and he puts it in the script that then it notifies, it says in the Discord where <laughs> that you're flying and you can actually watch each other uh, go fly around and what you're doing. So, we have basically twofold one, the place to put your minimums to be accountable, and two, like you said, we, you know, we're, we can watch you fly and see what you're flying in. So, uh, so that's, that's really great. You know, and, and you know, the, for instance, uh, Erica, I sent you my minimums. Now they have grown and changed and become a lot more verbose, uh, since I started, but did, you know, I'll just put myself out there as an example. I, I'm assuming you looked at them, uh, <laughs> but if in a general sense, did you feel like, wow, there, I saw a few things that were missing or that I wouldn't say that that's a good idea? Because I did put a few things in there. And this is another thing we've been talking about with respect to personal minimums is there's a gray area sometimes. Everything is not black and white. That's, we do the minimums to uh, to try to relieve ourselves of those gray areas, but it's impossible to account for everything. So I have done some things like saying, <laughs> if I'm going to 
uh, fly under a ceiling that's below my minimums. It only can be this low and for this far with trending conditions towards the better or things like that. Like I'm not getting into long form scud running, but I am willing to say, okay, I'll accept a 3000 foot ceiling if it's going to be for, you know, whatever it is, 15 miles and everything in the area is trending in the right direction. What do you say to um, uh, that as an example of addressing the the gray areas of minimums and 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 what do you think could be done better there? Yeah, that's a great question. I think um, minimums should build in an inherent margin in case things trend worse. Now, you shouldn't take off right at minimums thinking, oh, there's margin there, right? It's the, the margin is should be somewhat built in. Um, in terms of your personal minimums, I think one of the things that you are missing there is the the human factors part of it, the the I'm safe stuff and the currency things. Um, Great so, input. Yeah. So, you know, how many landings have you had? When's the last time you practiced stall recoveries, steep turns, all of those aircraft performance maneuvers that we tend to forget about once we get our certificate and then we remember close to our flight review oh my gosh when's the last time i did that um did i disappoint you no no okay no a lot of people forget that one because they think that personal minimums should only be weather related i think when you're making go or no go decisions that's really when you need to consider the trend but if if weather is right on the line of your minimums I would be very, very mindful about how the weather is trending. I'd want to be absolute certain. And then, like you said earlier, I'd want to be sure that I have plenty of outs. Um, You don't want to back yourself into a corner, of course. Yeah, um, I actually had a discussion with a little bit of a brain trust last night of of people that uh, for it weather situation where I, I was I was on the ground and I, I really had some some temptation about about some of my options and and I didn't do it and so in instead I I got a bunch of people together and said how bad of an idea would this have been <laughs> and it is one of the things that I worry uh not as a 20 or 120 hour pilot but as they are start racking up of that normalization of deviance of, well, sure. I'm just going to go do pattern work or, eh, you know, they're 2000 feet. I know I can make it out and like, depending on where you live, that may be okay. It may not be, but, and, and so it's that expanding your minimums and then how that turns into that, uh, taking more risk than, than you would otherwise. Is that, yeah. how do you see that as, uh, kind of post student to, you know, a flying pilot sort of thing. Right. Well, um, you know, to Brian's point earlier, I'm, I'm personally, I'm not in the position as an instructor where I'm trying to build time. Um, I look, I look for, I, I basically assume I'm not going to go every day. And I, I look for the holes in that assumption to, support flying. And I, I love that you brought up the normalization of deviance because, you know, at its core, the normalization of deviance is, is based on some logical fallacies, right? It 
it comes from us assuming that good outcomes are a result of our great decision making. You know, I made a good decision. That's why things turned out okay, which is not the truth. You know, we can make terrible decisions that turn out okay. We just, you know, happened to look out or, or things weren't, I don't know, they just, they didn't turn out to be as bad as they, they should have been, truthfully. So the normalization of deviance is very, very mindful. We, we need to be very mindful of that. And I think, you know, you guys had um, a podcast episode recently about the debriefing. Um, was that last week? Yes, it was. Okay. We don't know. Stu- <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, super important to debrief, to, to have that mindset of, okay, I'm okay. I'm on the ground now. Is that a result of my good decisions or is that a result of me getting lucky? And that's how we can combat those things. So I love that you you had that experience and you briefed it with other people who, I, you know, I don't, maybe they were more knowledgeable. Maybe they had a little bit more experience and um, were able to provide some insight. But the, Erica, the I was on that call, but I was not the more knowledgeable one. I just wanted to know that the record. There was a, a CFI or two CFIs on the call. So yeah, just uh, wanted to make sure we knew that. I was not the smarter one. You know, one of the things that I... Yeah. have seen recently. I wish I could remember where I, I attend this, but it was saying that the real problem isn't um, the, uh, the kind of the, the incidents that you get into. It's the near misses that you succeed and or that nothing happens. And all of a sudden it's like, well, I can make that risk. It can be a huge risk, but now you've said, well, this is something I can get away with and you continue to do it. And, and that I think is, is, the reason for debriefing is kind of writing down the things that you're lucky to have gotten away with or that the mistakes that you made that didn't turn out to to be any more serious. And I don't know, those are the things that always scare me. Yeah. Often. Which I you know, it's it's important to be mindful of that and and bring in that collective knowledge to to help you with the debrief. Nathan Ballard asked uh, in the chat, whether sneaky, we have all likely gotten into something unexpected or sketchy. Any good weather, sketchy stories from any of the four of you that we can learn from? Um, I had one come to mind. It was kind of sketchy, but it wasn't. I had gotten with uh, some college buddies I hadn't seen for in many years. One of them had a place down uh, on the Florida Panhandle. And um, long story short, we decided to go to the Auburn football game in the plane. There was four of us, and um, it was at night. And I had a pretty hard rule of no IFR at night. But it is flat down there. Uh, There's no terrain. And the weather was absolutely improving. Uh, It was moving out of the area. And I had never shot um, an IFR approach at night. And I had friends on board. Uh, But I had three airports that were clearing a million VFR. I figured I could go missed and and it worked out great. Uh, By the time we got to the field, it was marginal. The ceilings were at 1900. I couldn't even log it as an approach because there were no clouds inside the final approach fix. But I, I was, I didn't show it to my friends, but I was very nervous about taking that flight, but I also thought this is an opportunity to expand my personal minimums. Although I shouldn't have done it with, people that I like in the airplane with me. So I, I kind of kicked myself about that and it worked out, but 
I had my outs and, and actually one of the three videos I've published on YouTube talks about that is, is that I had uh, a plenty of, of places to, to go to without having to shoot an approach. So that, that was my story. Any of y'all have any come to mind? Cause I have another area that I want to get into with Eric. I, I've only, I've only had perfect seamless flawless experiences in aviation so i'm not uh able to really relate i guess um well so that's funny because all those times you call me for weather briefings i recorded all of them (laughs) um i can actually throw you under the bus there well you know one thing that you were talking about earlier you know just that that early period of after you've been kind of uh set free and you're starting to get out there on your own um flying with ben was hugely beneficial for me to just get into some weather that how do i explain this it's it really just begins with things that they cannot teach you in training because you have to be there and then you have to start learning how to read what you're seeing and your training environment presents none of these scenes the scenes that you're seeing when you're getting out there and you're actually in the weather are so much more complex and relational and it's almost like 4d compared to anything else that you've looked at before and that's why the whole having an out thing is the that's what tethers you to the potential of the of of delving deeper but just knowing that you've got that handhold because I definitely had a lot of experiences where when I was first getting out there in that first 100 hours after private pilot, first 150 hours, where uh, I, I'm just realizing I've not, and these would probably be pretty benign things to you, Ben, or a lot of people that are maybe more experienced. But to me, I'm like, wait, well, I've never, you know, now I've got the, it's kind of over the top over here, or I can go to, do I dive down or do I go over here? And that looks, that looks like not good. And then I, those look like the clouds in the textbook that murder people, you know? So, uh, you know, it's just a lot of that, um, stuff, you know, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to, to get out there, but you know, I haven't, I haven't, I've been lucky, I suppose, in the sense that I haven't had anything be completely sketchy, but that's also a testament to how conservative my planning has been. And, the times where I probably could have pushed pushed it, I was calling Ben from Shreveport, Louisiana, from a hotel that I did not need to be in, uh, with a rental plane that was hours from home with the owner that was not happy that I had the plane, and he was thinking about flying to come get the plane and you know send me packing or what. Like there was a lot of weird pressure to that situation, but I did the right thing. Even though in reality, Ben, that situation now, I would have gone out under those marginal conditions for. 10 miles and then been fine. But at that stage, that was just not what I needed to do. And you were very helpful. So it's very important to have people that you trust. And ultimately now everybody has Erica's email address and knows how to find her. And (laughs) so just if you ever have an, an aviation related question, you just contact Erica. Now it's all solved. Yeah. It's uh, you're the new 1-800 weather brief. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Phone a friend, weather edition. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, uh, Michael Gillette, uh, put in the comments, uh, I'll, I'll summarize it. He's, I think that it's fairly common where we know the difference between official and unofficial sources of, of weather data. And it's pretty easy an hour before a flight or six hours before a flight to have a pretty 
a, a pretty safe viewpoint on on what your weather source is that the flying's good what do you use for three days out or or five days out or seven i'd say seven or ten but you're in kentucky i think there's lots of areas of the country where seven to ten days you don't count on it no matter what but anyway yeah you know what i honestly i usually don't even look a week out because it's so subject to change um and i've i have never had a a flight that was so important that i was willing to risk the safety of the flight um yeah, you know, I might look like I might look at like the weather app on my phone just to kind of get a, an idea. But the you know, there's so many different models that they use for forecasting that it's really a toss one way or another until you're like three or four days out. Um, and then I start, you know, two days out, I start looking at those uh, FAA approved sources of weather, and even then, past 24 hours, the models kind of skew all sorts of ways. So. You know, it can kind of give you an idea. And especially if there's two, three, four days of, you know, like a high pressure system that's predicted to be in there and be nice. Well, that's, a, that's gives you a better indication. But this time of year when those systems are just moving in and out so fast, it's like a week out. I, I don't really bother. So I find your YouTube channel fascinating for this reason. It's a real choice to say, I'm going to report on the broad scheme of the weather and then show different deep dives in different regions. And you're doing it not just as a teaching tool. You're doing it for, it's almost, it's reporting, right? I mean, you're saying, here's actually what next week is going to look like more broadly or, or whatever. Um, you're sort of inadvertently becoming a, a synthesis tool for a lot of, uh, of these, these weather sources and and putting it all together i want to make sure we get some good time in real quick about just your youtube channel and make sure that people get there and we'll make sure that the link for it is in the show notes and all of that um but i just wanted to turn the corner real quick i think it's really fascinating that anybody that that turns a corner and says i want to take an instructor generally is is in a one-to-one learning and teaching situation and anybody that makes a turn to go to a one-to-many has to not only know what they're talking about, hopefully, um, but also it's just a real conscious decision to kind of put yourself out there and reach out in that way. And, you know, it is it is a particular vulnerability in a way, right? And you're trying to learn how to edit and you're doing a great job and you're, you're putting all that stuff together. I mean, no, it's really great. Um, so... How, how has it been starting out in this kind of one-to-many mode? Well, it's really interesting. Um, it's something that I've been thinking about for a very long time. And, you know, I, I kind of wanted to, like, have all the pieces together before I started it. And then I was like, whatever, it's not going to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. I'm just going to start. There's, I, I feel like there's a need, and I'm, I'm going to try and fill it. And um, I love that you mentioned vulnerability. If we can kind of sidestep with that, I think vulnerability is so important with anything that we do, especially in flight training. And, you know, to kind of bring that back to your audience, um, I it's um, um, if you really want to learn something, you have to put yourself in a position to be willing to fail. And 
um, for anyone listening that might have an instructor that they don't really vibe with or they're trying to find a flight instructor, if your instructor is not um, giving you the situation or the environment in which you feel okay admitting your mistakes and they provide you constructive feedback without going crazy, you need to find a new instructor. Because that, that vulnerability piece is really, really important. Um, they shouldn't disparage you in front of other students. And and I've seen that, and it's really terrible. But anyway, that wasn't what the question was about. <laughs> no, it's good to have, it's good to talk about, though. I, I think a lot of people... Piece. And uh, Wendell Geek put in the comments, and he's disclaimed himself, but I also want to make sure it's clear. Um, there's somebody, one of these hosts has a creative manifesto which is nobody cares, create like nobody cares. We care about what you're putting out there, but uh, that vulnerability that you speak of is, is you've kind of, kind of adopt the, nope, I'm going to put it out there whether anybody cares or not. So yeah. um, I, I wanted to switch gears if I could, uh, and let's talk a little bit about IFR. Uh, we, Brian kind of touched on it on a little bit. I'm curious uh, if you've been doing this and you've been watching this long enough, and this I know it's going to be different from region to region. Um, we've been having a, a chat on the Discord how hard it is to maintain IFR proficiency and um, you know being staying legal. Um, is is there a better time of the year for IFR? I mean, what have you seen as far as timing goes, and and do you have any? Uh, suggestions of places that are better than others, I guess. I know the West Coast is going to have the uh, fog, um, which I get that. But, you know, like the Southeast here, it, it can be a little challenging. It, it absolutely is. And, you know, I'm in the fortunate position that I, I do this for work. So I'm in it every day. Um, I think, and and on the Discord, uh, Nathan mentions uh, like a Redbird simulator, a flight training device Um now, if, if you have accessibility to a flight training device, that is fabulous. If, if there's a flight school near you or, you know, an independent instructor, um, be sure before you go and do that, that they have an LOA from the FAA that allows you to log it because you can't just log any simulator time. Um, but that's a really great way to do it. And the, the simulators are wonderful because you can simulate failures like they really happen. So, for example, in your training and on your check ride, they're going to slap a couple of sticky notes over your um, your primary instruments, right? Your attitude indicator and your heading indicator. And they're going to go, oh, your vacuum pump just failed. What are you going to do? In real life, the suction is lost a little bit more slowly than that. And you're going to be following that attitude indicator. And it's going to be total disconnect from the rest of your instruments. And you might get into a very unusual attitude before you can recover. So simulators are great for that because the instructor can just turn off the vacuum instruments and you get to experience that actual process of determining what's failed and and um, disregarding that information and proceeding forward. Um, you know, to meet the, the, the legal minimums, you just need one approach a month. But what kills pilots in IMC is not flying approaches. It's getting into an unusual attitude and recovering from that. So the approaches are important, but for actual proficiency, practicing unusual attitude is also, unusual attitude recoveries is important. 
in terms of maintaining that currency, you know, I was thinking about this before we got on. The safety pilots are great as long as they know what they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, If you have a safety pilot who's, you know, a 70-hour private pilot, um, yeah, they're fulfilling that safety pilot requirement. But that's where we go back to having a more experienced pilot in the plane is really important. So getting up with a CFI, you know, it's going to be $50 to $100 an hour, but it it will be so worth it if you can. And if you can do it with a double I, then you can do it in IMC as long as everything else is kosher and good. And you can do it safely with a double I. Um, You know, in terms of maintaining that currency, it's going to require some flexibility. And that part is hard because like you say, it's, I mean, I, I don't think I've flown in like a week and a half um, and I do it every day. Yeah. So. And, and, you know, it's, I, I was telling them it, when I would see a, a, a marginal VFR day that I thought that it might be some clouds just below the final approach fix. I, I don't care what I'm going to drop, what I'm going to go do and knock out about three approaches just for that IMC experience. And just to keep that relevancy, it's, it's like you long for the IFR days once you get your IFR ticket, as opposed to the VFR day uh, pilot. So Brian, I believe you had something. I always have something. Yeah. So tell me about Erica, the, cause you guys, you, you instructors have nerves of steel. Um, you're essentially, I, I think of it as like being a CFI must be like me riding in the back seat of my parents' car as they drive around now you know what i mean where it's just like they probably shouldn't even be on the road and i'm just even though i feel like i can get to the controls i really you know things could happen real fast so what is um have you how do you do how do you um how do you do that how do you how, how do you um have you had a have you ever have you had a moment where you thought i i don't need to be doing this yes yeah absolutely um I I like to recall upon my favorite instructors who like, you could have a runway excursion. You could have landed and run off the runway into the side of the grass. And they'd be like, you know, I don't think that was a great idea. Uh, What could you do better next time? You know, just like (laughs) totally calm, cool and collected. And then after we get out of the plane, that's when you can like shake and freak out. Um, I have found that most people, if they are aware of the actual situation and the dangers involved, they're hard enough on themselves. They don't mean me hollering at them and going, what the were you thinking? Um, when we get back on the ground, we can have an, a discussion. Uh, for example, I was doing a simulated engine failure with a client and I always go down to as low as we can, right? 500 AGL. We are areas other been congested all over the place here. And so we get down to 500. I'm like, all right, let's recover. He adds full power, doesn't pitch up. And now we're accelerating, continuing to descend. We get down to almost 300 feet and I'm like, back pressure. And I, you know, like, how did, how did I let it get that far to begin with? I did file an ASRS report. So there's that. But, um, and then we debriefed it very heavily afterwards. Like, Hey, where were you? What were you thinking? That was a really big deal. We very clearly, you know, went against a regulation here. 
But again, you know, a, a CFI should be emotionally aware. They should have enough emotional intelligence to control their own emotions, to read your emotions, and then play to that as necessary. And again, most people are hard enough on themselves. They don't they don't need an instructor freaking out at them. That's true. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask you uh, as we kind of start to move towards wrapping this up. But obviously, we are the Midlife Pilot Podcast. Um, most of us have taken this on in midlife. And the thing that we always talk about is that we're not used to not being good at things. We're used to being good at things at this stage in our lives. And we're not used to being hapless, right? Especially when our lives are on the line. But um, uh, what has been your experience with, um, you know, training folks that aren't, uh, you know, spring chickens? Yeah. You know, again, I listened to that episode with uh, Nathan Ballard and I think he's here in the trap as well. And, you know, he hit the, the nail on the head. I think that um, people who have a little bit of discretionary income and they're older, they're well enough in their careers that they're doing what they're good at. Anything that, like you said, that they've not been successful at, they've kind of put down and go, okay, I don't think that's for me. Um, and this is a goal and a passion and a dream for so many people. And I think a lot don't realize just how much it takes going into it. But um, he said it exactly right where the midlifers, the adult learners, they are typically incredibly motivated. They show up prepared for every lesson. Where there is a little bit of lag is the kinesthetic spatial relation reaction times, you know, the, the physiological stuff. Dr. Victor Vogel talks a lot about this when he gives his seminar about doing a flight review for older pilots. And um, I've seen him give that a couple of times and I've talked to him about it. And it's really, really great. And if I think if you listen to that and you put that into perspective of we all age, macular degeneration affects us, you know, going from being focused on something close to something far, that gets more difficult as we age. So, you know, like in, in instrument training, if you're on that visual phase of the approach, not only are you coming out of being focused on the panel, and so you might have a little bit of spatial disorientation, now you're coming up and everything's blurry. I get that a little bit. It, it can be difficult. So the, the physical effects and the way that can slow us down, that's what I see with adult learners. Is there hope for us? I read one of the guys in your chat just said that he got his certificate like at 72. So absolutely. Yeah. No, we've got some, uh, man. I mean, I, I was just watching that flight shops video where you, the, the aerobatic instructor is 90 yeah. years old. I mean, in a Harvard in yeah. a plane that's very hard to fly. And he was just handling it like it was nobody's business. It was awesome. Yeah. Also, I want to say the, um, the, the fellow that's on the discord, that's 72. I hope that's midlife for us all. Amen to that. Yeah. Um, so we got to get into, um, we're, we're going to skip uh, feedback because uh, the one we really wanted to read tonight is a little long and we got to save time. But uh, but Ben, maybe you can take us through um, uh, this big event that we have coming up. Remind yeah. People. April 26th through the 28th. Uh, we have our Nashville fly-in. Um, we want everybody to join us that can. Um, the Midlife Pilot Compound is sold out, uh, but there are a lot of other uh, options out there for you, hotels, maybe Airbnbs. 
Um, we're going to be very close to John Toon. That's Juliet Whiskey, Whiskey November Airport for the ICAO code. Um, you know, we have a, uh, it'll be in the show notes, but we do have a website set up for this. If you're interested in coming, it would be really nice to know. Try to get a head count. Um, don't forget, uh, we've announced it several times tonight, but you can join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash midlife pilot podcast. We have a merch store. It'll be in the linked in the show notes, the doobly-doos. Uh, in the next week, episode 61, we're going to talk about ways to build your confidence as a newer pilot. Um, Erica, I feel like we should yeah. just have you on a lot more because it, it just, again, it just feels great to have somebody on board that actually knows what they're saying. We are speculating. You are declaring and it's so nice. Uh, I, it, I know that you're not, you're, you're saying you're, you're not, uh, what do you call it? Omniscient, but we're going to treat you as if you are. Um, uh, you yeah. have an open invitation. Uh, we have more viewers tonight than I think I've ever seen us have. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's, it's been great having you on. We appreciate you being here. And before so, we, uh, before we head out, um, wondering if you've got, uh, plans for videos coming up, Erica. Yeah. Thank you for asking. Um, I do have, um, video about personal minimums. That's going to cover a lot of what we talked about establishing personal minimums and expanding personal minimums. I also have an interview with, uh, Jeffrey Arnold, who's the director of innovation and outreach at Lidos. And I'm also going to be interviewing the Louisville regional chief meteorologist at the national weather service. He was wow. a flight meteorologist. He flew into hurricanes in the air force, which, okay. I'm really excited about his stories. That's going to be awesome. But, yep. um, so yeah, stay tuned. Some cool stuff coming out. Uh, I will absolutely uh, be watching for that. Anything else, guys, for the good of the order? Um, Erica, we typically, now that you're a member of our Discord, we do uh, an after chat in the Discord. So if people are here now and want to migrate there, uh, again, another great reason to be on the the Patreon. But if you have a minute, uh, it'd be great to to have a little bit more time with you. But if you got to go, we totally understand. But we just want to let you know that we're going to be there and we hope that you are, but, uh, really thanks a lot for everything. I really, I, I, like I said, the, it's clear that your mission is about, uh, safety and it's just, uh, it's and nice helping to, people. Yeah. It, you're, you're helping people. You're, you're helping people with a thousand hours. You're helping people with 20 hours. I, and I think it's awesome. So, uh, we'll be spreading the word. Thank you so much, you guys. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. So until next week, that's a wrap for episode 60 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast. We look forward to hanging out with you guys next week. Good night, everybody. <laughs>